Before we have the reading of Scripture, let us read our instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism, number 86. As we now return to this uh, sermon series from Paul's letter to the Romans, we have been delivered from our misery by God's grace alone through Christ and not because we have earned it. Why then must we still do good? To be sure, Christ has redeemed us by his blood, but we do good because Christ by his spirit is also renewing us to be like himself, so that in all our living we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done for us, and so that he may be praised through us. And we do good so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that our neighbors may be won over to Christ. And now let us pray for the Lord's blessing upon the reading and hearing of his holy word. Our gracious Father in heaven, we rejoice in the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, and the hope of glory in life everlasting. We pray, O Lord, that now you would send forth your word and that it would not return to you void, but that you, by the power of your Spirit, would accomplish that for which you send it. To the glory of your name through Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It is written. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Or if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Four weeks ago in this sermon series, through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, we arrived here at chapter 6. And today we pick up there again. So after four weeks, I don't know about you, but I need a little review. First of all, let's remember that the overall overarching major theme or thesis of Paul's letter to the Romans is stated in chapter 1, 
verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. Sinners are restored to a right relationship with God, accepted as righteous in God's sight by means of faith, namely faith in Jesus Christ. We do not earn a status of righteousness by our own works or efforts or good intentions, but rather we receive a status of righteousness, a righteousness which is not our own, as a gift of God's grace received by faith in Christ. To receive Christ as our Savior and Lord is to receive His righteousness as our own. This is the great gospel doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul answers some objections to this doctrine. It seems that some people in his day were perverting the grace of God into a license for sin. Some people in his day were saying that, well, if God's grace is revealed in the forgiveness of sins, and that brings glory to God, then let's sin all the more so that God will have more sins to forgive and will thereby receive more glory. Well, in response to that absurd notion, the scripture says, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now Paul's point here as the transition from chapter 5 to chapter 6 makes clear is that real justification is inseparably connected to real sanctification. Growth in grace, growth in holiness, Growth into spiritual maturity, continual repentance from sin and waging spiritual warfare against the the, the fallen nature within us. Sanctification, growth into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So he asks, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. That's the devil's logic. Paul is rejecting the unholy attitude that supposes that we can sin all we want because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin by no means. That is the logic of the devil. It is a perversion of the gospel and it is a contradiction of any true profession of faith in Christ. And by the way, it's not merely theoretical. There are some who actually think like that. Well, in fact, the scripture says that this is as contradictory as death and life are contradictory to one another. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's a rhetorical question illustrating the definitive break with the life of sin The end of the life of sin, the end, which true believers have experienced by virtue of our justification by faith in Christ. Our justification by faith in Christ involves a 
death, the death of the old man, the old self. That is, our life in our union with Adam, our identity with Adam in his fallenness, our justification by faith in Christ involves a death, a death of the old man. Well, now, how did or how does this death take place? It takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit who, when the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus Christ in faith, when we believe the gospel and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit who transcends time and space unites us to Jesus Christ in his death on the cross so that our old self, our old man in Adam is crucified with him. Chapter 6, verse 6. And so in our faith union with Christ on the cross, we have died to sin. That old life in union with Adam under the dominion of sin, in the service of sin, in slavery to sin, is put to death on the cross. And if that is the case, asks Paul, if that is really true of us, then how can we who died to sin still live in it? Then Paul appeals to baptism. As a reminder of this definitive break with sin, the end of the life of sin, the end of being dominated by sin and sinfulness, slavery to sin. Paul appeals to baptism because baptism is the sign and seal of the believer's union with Christ in his death on the cross. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul appeals to baptism in order to emphasize the incompatibility of a profession of faith in Christ and a life generally characterized by unrepentant sinfulness. Now, be careful here. This verse, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This does not mean that the administration of baptism in and of itself, the administration of baptism in and of itself, unites us to Christ in a saving way. It doesn't mean that. We've got to be very clear and very careful here. We are not justified by baptism. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We are not saved by receiving baptism. We are saved by receiving God's grace through faith In Jesus Christ. We are not spiritually united to Christ in his death by the external administration of the sacrament of baptism. 
We are spiritually united to Christ in his death by the working of the Holy Spirit internally in our hearts. And yet, and yet, baptism is important. Yes, because baptism is the visible sign which Jesus Christ instituted to show us, to seal upon us tangibly the spiritual realities, the invisible spiritual realities of the washing away of our sins by his blood and the renewal of our lives by the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a visible sign of the invisible grace of God which is offered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you some illustrations which are not perfect. Don't pick them apart. These are illustrations. They are not perfect, and illustrations never are perfect. But they may be helpful. The title to your car is not your car, but it is legal proof that your car is your car. And that title is the means by which that car was transferred into your possession. Now, if you think about it, the ownership of your car is an invisible concept. Are you with me there? The ownership of your car is an invisible concept. But the title to your car visibly represents, signifies, and legally seals to you your ownership of your car. Your marriage license with the seal of the state, the authority of the state upon it, and the signature of the minister upon it, is not your marriage. But it is the document which legally entitles you to all the benefits and blessings of your marriage, along with obligating you to fulfill your marital responsibilities. Your wedding ring is not your marriage union, But it is the visible sign of your marriage union. And by the way, speaking of having died to sin and being baptized into his death, well, your wedding ring signifying your union with your spouse is also the public sign that with regard to a union with any other person of the opposite sex, you are dead. Got it? The point is, to be baptized into Christ Jesus is to be publicly, visibly identified with Christ. By baptism, we are incorporated into the corporate new covenant community, the new covenant people of God, the visible church on earth. Baptism marks us with an identity as members of God's corporate new covenant people in Christ. To be baptized into Christ Jesus is therefore to be made the rightful beneficiary 
of all the blessings of his grace, mercy, and power which flow to us from his death and resurrection, when those blessings are received by faith in Christ. And to be baptized into his death is to be identified with Christ's death on the cross by faith in such a way that through faith in Christ, we can say in the words of verse 6 here, our old self was crucified with him. Or in the words of Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. But of course, this is only the half of it. As this passage makes clear, Paul continues by saying, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This newness of life, walking in newness of life, is the life of sanctification. It is the evidence that we are also in union with Christ in his resurrection from the dead. Having died with Christ, we have a new life to live in Christ by the power of his resurrection through faith in him. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or, as Paul says a few verses onward at chapter 6, verse 13 here, we are called to live now as those who have been brought from death to life. Through faith. We are in spiritual union with Christ in his resurrection. And this too is signified and sealed to us in baptism. Baptism vouchsafes to us, it guarantees to us all the promises of the gospel upon the condition of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. But now, you may ask, And I know that some of you are asking because we are in a Presbyterian church. How does this apply to infants? And since an infant will receive the sacrament of baptism today, I will attempt a brief and incomplete answer to that question. First of all, we baptize. And by the way, the word is baptize, not christen. We baptize the children of believers in Christ who are members in good standing of a local congregation and who give evidence of a credible personal profession of faith in Christ, referring to the parents of the child. We baptize the children of believers on the basis of God's covenant promise, which is repeated throughout Scripture, to be our God and the God of our children. Think with me here. Think back through Romans chapter 4, which takes us back to Genesis. God made promises to Abraham. 
Abraham believed the promises of God. And on that basis, God declared Abraham to be, are you with me? Justified by faith. Thus God established his covenant with Abraham. And then God commanded Abraham to be marked with the sign of the covenant. The sign signifying, among other things, Abraham's justification by faith. And that sign was circumcision. Abraham received that sign of the covenant as an adult after he had been declared to be justified by faith. But then God commanded Abraham to circumcise all of his male descendants as infants on the eighth day, marking them as members of the covenant people of God who were called to live by faith. And those infants received the sign of the covenant, the sign of justification by faith, the sign of salvation by grace, the sign of the promises of the gospel before they believed on the eighth day. And they were to be raised in that old covenant community of faith, being taught who they were, who God is, what God requires, so that they would come to know, love, and serve God in personal faith by His grace and for His glory. Now, as we all know from the Old Testament, not all the descendants of Abraham truly believed in the promises of God, nor lived by faith in God. The external mark of circumcision did those unbelieving Israelites no good except to remind them of their need to repent of their sins and to have their hearts circumcised. Those unbelieving Israelites had the outward sign but not the inward reality of true faith. The principle is the same within the new covenant church of Jesus Christ. The sacrament of baptism does not save an unbelieving person, but reminds that person to repent of his or her sins and place his or her personal faith in Jesus Christ so that he or she might really and truly receive the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of life by the working of the Holy Spirit those spiritual realities signified and sealed by baptism. An unbeliever's baptism calls that person to repent and believe the gospel. And that could theoretically and actually be the case of someone sitting in this sanctuary right now. God has given you His visible promise in the sacrament of baptism. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then your external baptism will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be in force as the effective and the authenticating sign and seal of your internal baptism by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
So then a child will be baptized this morning. By baptism, she will be incorporated into the visible church of Jesus Christ, the new covenant people of God, the corporate body of professing believers in Christ on earth. She will be incorporated into the church of Jesus Christ, the visible church on earth. And that is an objective reality. Her baptism is her initiation into the church family, not only here in this congregation, but the worldwide visible church of Jesus Christ on earth. That means that she has, will have, by virtue of her baptism, an objective identity as a member of the church of Jesus Christ on earth, just as much as she has an objective identity as a citizen of the United States of America. The only difference is the United States of America isn't going to last forever, and the church of Jesus Christ will. She is not a spiritual nothing or a spiritual orphan. She is a child of the covenant, a member of Christ's church on earth according to God's covenant. And baptism is the sign of that covenant instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think with me a little bit. In earthly terms, in earthly terms, this little child, is already the rightful beneficiary of numerous earthly blessings that are already hers simply by virtue of her birth into her family of origin. Though she knows nothing about who she is or whose she is or what those blessings might be. That's the same with all of us. But one day, God willing, she will understand these things. And she will be grateful for them. And she will actually grow into the personal possession of these earthly family blessings, experiencing and enjoying them for herself and personally benefiting from them, provided that she does not reject her family or squander her blessings or take a path of life which would render them null and void like the covenant breaker Esau who exchanged his inheritance for a bowl of beans. But you know, we all know people, sadly, who have done that, don't we? So it is with her baptism today. On this day, by the institution of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the basis of God's covenant with believers and their children, she will receive the sacrament of baptism. The promise of the gospel in visible form. The sign and seal of her engrafting into Christ. Her death in union with Christ. The regeneration of her life in union with Christ. The forgiveness of her sins. The renewal and sustaining of her spiritual life in Christ by the Holy Spirit. In the sacrament of baptism today, God publicly declares these promises to her and gives them to her in visible form. And and therefore she is to grow up from her infancy, being told who she is, being told who God is, 
what God requires and what God has done in Jesus Christ to make all of these promised spiritual blessings a spiritual reality in her life. Now that is our responsibility along with these parents. Members of the congregation will take holy vows to that effect. And then, when in God's time the Spirit moves when He will and works how He will, when in God's time, by the working of the Holy Spirit, this little child hears and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit unites her to Christ in true faith. Then all the promises signified and sealed to her in baptism today will indeed become her personal possession by faith in Christ And the baptism administered today will, by the working of the Holy Spirit, be in force, effectively and authentically. And her external baptism will become Her external baptism will become the effective and authenticating testimony of her internal baptism. And she, by faith, will be able to say from the depths of her heart, I have been baptized into Christ Jesus. I have been baptized into his death. I have been buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, I too might walk in newness of life. And the external reality that takes place today will be an internal reality in her life. And by God's grace... May it be that everyone here today can say the same. I have been baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, I too might walk in newness of life. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, your word, your word made flesh in the person of our Savior, your word made visible to us in the sign and seal of the sacraments. And we pray, our Lord, that you would uh, take this word proclaimed, this gospel, this saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and plant it firmly into our hearts, that we might truly live as those who have been brought from death to life 
to the glory of your name. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand and affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, one God eternal. Amen.